I want you to turn with me this morning to the second uh, letters to the church of Thessalonica, Second Thessalonians, and I want you to open your Bible at chapter 1. Take your time. I want every Bible open at this chapter this morning. First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and then you have Thessalonians in between First and Second Timothy. And open your Bible, please. And could I say before we go on with the members or the regulars, please remember to park around the back of the church uh, tonight to leave room in the car park, and we'll need somebody on the car park as well. So you have your Bible open uh, there at Second Thessalonians and chapter one. So give me your attention. There was an old American Baptist pastor who spent 40 years in the one church and he was asked after his tenure was over what was the greatest regret that he had. And very swiftly he said, the greatest regret that I had over 40 years that I didn't comfort my people more. That I didn't comfort my people more. Now I'm sure that most of you know by now, and you're allowed to agree with me, that comforting and counseling and consoling and encouraging is not very high up on the scales of my ministry. I confess that to be true, and uh, I take no joy in saying that. I plead guilty to that. God knows that too because I was meditating in Acts on Monday last, intending to continue on in the early church revival scene, when the voice in the Spirit of God into my heart said, Bertie, I want you to encourage and comfort my people. And, and, and notice that, my people this morning, because there are those who are battling and struggling with uh, multitudes of issues in their hearts and lives and homes and family that you know nothing about. And I am sure that is true. It is said of, of the woman in Lamentations 1 and verse 2 that there was none to comfort her. And I trust that when this meeting is over this morning that you'll not be able to say that. And furthermore, I trust that when my ministry is over, I will not have to say what that man said. May the God of all, Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, comfort us in our tribulations and trials and sorrows. The first five chapters of Isaiah, they're very harsh. He blasts everybody around him with woe after woe after woe after woe. He blasts the landowners and the rich and the farmers and all the the nation entirely. And then when we come to chapter 6, he turns the woe from others onto himself and says, Woe is me, for I am undone. And after that, 
encounter that he had with God and that woe into his own heart and soul. Uh, after that, he got the great uh, gift of uh, comforting the people. And God said to him on a number of occasions, and on one in particular, comfort ye, he had to say it twice to him, comfort ye, comfort ye, my people. Now, I intend to do that this morning, and I intend to do it from the Word of God. And I want you to set your eyes on chapter 1 of Second Thessalonians, because this is where God very powerfully directed me to last Monday. And I want you to keep the word open and I want you to watch the first phrase of this verse, chapter 1. Uh, you see, Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus unto the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now I want you to notice that, this, that, that how it commences. You see, when we write a letter, we put our name at the end, or at least we should. But in, ancient, in the ancient world, they put their names at the beginning. And if ever we were required to take heed to what is going to be said in these verses, and this message from God in these verses, there are six names altogether authenticating and uh, authorizing it. There's Paul, Silas, and Timothy. There's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost who penned it through these men. Now these three earthly men and three heavenly men give us this chapter and these verses. And that's very important. If you had one of a letter from one of them, uh, signed by one of them, you'd cherish it. I got a letter 35 years ago from Leonard Ravenhill. And I cherished it and I put it away somewhere that I wouldn't lose it and I've lost it. And I don't know where it is and I haven't seen it for 25 years. And I don't know whether it was in a book I give to somebody or where it went, but uh, the things that he said in it were a mighty blessing to me. And uh, I haven't got it. But if you got a letter signed by one of these men here, uh, any one of them, you would, you would look, look after it. Now look at verse, verse 2. Grace unto you and peace from God the Father, Lord Jesus Christ. Now verse 3. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren. Do you see that word bound? It's the word debtor. And what they're saying, now heaven and earth speaking here to this young, fledgling, persecuted church. We owe a debt of continual thanksgiving to you because that's what it says. We're bound to give thank to God always for you. And you know, friends, whenever I look down here on Sunday mornings and Sunday nights and Thursday nights, uh, I give thanks in my own heart. I might often proclaim it or I mightn't even say it, but I give thanks in my own heart for you people that some of you travel a distance and try to get children out to the Sunday school, make an effort, busy men, busy women. And I don't appreciate that enough. I All I have to do is walk down and up the lane and some of you have to travel miles. And I, I give thanks. I give thanks to God uh, for you. I thanks, thank you for bringing your children. I thank you for the Sunday school teachers. I, 
I thank you for the Friday night workers, the deacons and the elders, and uh, all on the barn. And I honestly do give thanks to God for you. That's what the, these, the authors of this letter say into the church here. We give, we give thanks to you. Uh, now, first of all, you see in verse 3, there's the recognizing of something. And uh, in verse 3, it says this, We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet. It's, 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 it's a must for us, because that your faith groweth exceedingly. Now, the first thing that uh, Paul and Silas and Timothy agreed together here to say to them is the recognizing of the growth in the assembly. And it says exceedingly. You see, in a short time, the spiritual growth in this assembly at Thessalonica uh, began to move into a high gear. It went beyond all expectation. And heaven and earth is praising God for this growth. I was reading in the third epistle of John this morning, and John said this, it says, It's no greater joy to hear that my children walk in truth. And Peter talks about growing in grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's thanking them for the growth. And I honestly can say, and I'm 32 years here, I honestly can say that I notice a spiritual growth in this assembly. It may not be an exceeding growth like we have here, but I'll tell you it's worthy to give thanks for and it's worthy to be recognized. Last Sunday night we baptized six people here and that is a sign to me that people are hearing the word and they are obeying the word. And a man came to me afterwards and he says, it's lovely to see six young people being baptized. Now I would... uh, question that, whether they were all young or not, but they were a lot younger than I was, and uh, it's uh, lovely to see people getting uh, baptized, and uh, that was, uh, a, that's a sign of the, of the, of the growing in grace, and I have noticed spiritually here and there that there's a, there's a movement and, and, and a slight spiritual growth which we must give thanks to God, must give thanks to God for. There's a growth numerically, of course, in the barn and in the Sunday school and in the children's meeting. And uh, pray to God that it'll be spiritual growth and it will be before very long. Now, the word grow here is a very important word. It's like onto a plant. Its root has to go down into the right soil. And in the Song of Solomon, uh, or is it in Proverbs, I'm not sure, but the so- Solomon speaks about the root of the righteous shall not be moved. And can I just take a wee moment to talk to you about the root that goes down? Psalm 1 says this, The godly man is like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Now the rivers of water, the water speaks to us of the word and the water speaks to us of the Holy Spirit and the roots go down deep and they go down into the word and they go down into the power of the Holy Spirit. Now it says in Psalm 1 that they're planted, planted. It wasn't a seed that was blown with the wind that landed there. 
And my friend, we are not seeds blown with the wind. We are planted. We are planted by God, the great uh, vine dresser, the great God uh, and shepherd. He has planted us. And he has planted us in a place where we'll get fed and a place where we will get watered. And we need to give thanks to God for that. And those roots have to go down uh, in order that they can come up and in order that the fruit can come go out. And can I say a wee word to you? If God planted you here in this assembly, be here and stay here and come here. And that's very important. The reason that many of God's people have no spiritual growth, they don't stay long enough. They're moved about with every wind of doctrine. They're one place one day and another place another day and they don't know what to believe. And my friend, you can't expect to grow and you can't expect to mature and you can't expect to bring forth fruit if you don't put your roots down in the one place. If you take a wee plant and plant it and leave it there for a month and take it up and plant it somewhere else and leave it for two months and plant it somewhere else, that thing will never, it'll die. It'll die. And it's very important that we, if we're going to grow spiritually, we'll have to put the roots down if the tree's going to come up and if the fruit's going to come out. It's very important that we're planted at the rivers of water. We're planted where the Word is. We're planted where the Holy Spirit's moving. We're planted in that place that God has put us. God has put us. And that's where we need to be. We need to be there. Because if we're not, we're driven about with every strange of doc, every strange doctrine. And we'll never grow. But not only are they recognizing them and growing, but they're recognizing them and loving. Look at verse 3. It is meet because that your faith groweth exceedingly. And the charity, that word love, that's the word agape love. No, I'd done a wedding here in this place some years ago, and the people were so fond of the King James, and I love the King James, and it's the only version that I use in the pulpit. And I love the King James, but you know that word charity in the King James, in, in, in 1 Corinthians 13, I don't know how many times it's used, but it's the word love, it's the word agape love. And because the people were so taken up with the King James Version, they didn't allow the word love to be put in for charity. And my friend, this book is not not infallible, and we need to make sure that we treat the Word of God right. And uh, the person got up and they read it, and the, uh, the congregation, full church here, and I am sure that most of them didn't know what the word charity meant. And so the word charity here is love. It's actually the word agape love. It's the, it's the love of God, the greatest love that, 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 that we can get. And, and, and he, 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 they're recognizing the love, uh, exceedingly, faith growth, and the, and the love of every one of you, one toward another aboundeth. There's exceeding growth and abounding love in this fellowship. The word abound here is the word more and more. It was used when flood waters breached the dikes and cascaded into the streets and towns. 
You know, it's the same word where sin abounds. Grace much more abounds. And it says here, every one of you, oh, could I encourage you this morning and myself this morning to love one another. That there'd be harmony amongst us. I tell you, heaven takes notice to that. Men can put their signature to that. God can put a signature to that. When he sees exceeding growth and, and he sees abounding love in the fellowship, it strikes a chord in heaven. And if we have anything against a brother or anything against a sister, or we are saying anything about them, we need to confess it to them. We need to apologize to them. And we need to begin to pray and ask God to love them. Love them. If we said anything, if we have done anything. You see, the love that is evident here is an answer to Paul's prayer. Listen, don't turn to the, but listen to 1 Thessalonians 3. Paul says, night and day, I'm praying that the Lord will make you increase and abound in love. And this prayer has been answered. And we would need to pray. And I'm beginning to pray more like this and as the years go on. I'm beginning to pray that, that my people would abound in love one toward another. And that I myself would abound in love one toward another. That we'd have that agape love, that godly love for brothers and sisters even they've fallen, even they've sinned, even though they've went down, that we'll try and lift them up. We'll try to encourage them. You know you should find out the six that were baptized here on, on, on Sunday night last and encourage them. That's if you're baptized yourself. Because if you're not baptized yourself, you can't encourage them. You're not want to talk about it. But if you're baptized yourself and these six people that stood before a big congregation last Sunday night and went down into the waters of baptism didn't do it lightly. They done it because they saw it in the Word. They did it because they were being God. You find out who they were and encourage them. And find out who's not with you this morning who's sick and encourage them. And don't just walk out and walk in and not care. My friend, we're supposed to love one another. And I'm not good at it. But may God help us to give us this agape love. This is what Paul prayed. He said, I pray night and day that, that you'll abound in love. And, and it's been answered. It's been answered here. So they're recognizing the growing. Recognizing the loving. Now look at verse 4. They're recognizing the enduring of these people. So that we ourselves glory in you and the churches of God. And not only the church, not only the church at Ephesus, that's where they're writing from. They're writing from Ephesus. You see, these three men all were in Thessalonica at the beginning of the church, getting it going until they were chased out of it, until they were hunted out of it. Paul had to flee from it. And so they're at Ephesus now and they're writing this. Ah, but they're saying it's not only us, it's all the churches round about are recognizing. All the churches round about are recognizing you're growing, recognizing you're loving, recognizing you're enduring. Look at verse, verse four, for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that ye endure, that ye endure. 
You see, they're halfway through the first century here. This was when Nero was at its height. This this church at Thessalonica was one of the most persecuted of all the churches. And, and, and they were throwing them to the lions and they were burning them alive and, and they were tarring them and setting them on fire. And we need to recognize this morning, brothers and sisters, that there's a persecuted church. They're recognizing this persecuted church. In the Barnabas magazine that's left at the door, uh, their monthly... Uh, the. The latest edition said that the Marxist government and pray to God that this boy with the beard doesn't get in. Bring us back to Marxism and communism. Marxism, the Marxist government in Eritrea slaughtering children Christians and children wholesale is the second worst persecuted country in the world after North Korea. Tying men and women to the posts and children to the posts and to chairs and beating them to death with sticks and gathering audiences of 250 to 300 people to watch them, to put the fear into them. An average of 25 a week. It was Jacob Prash that said some time ago the first century Christian and the last century Christians are the most persecuted. And we're in the last century, we're in the last days. And there's fierce persecution going on in Cambodia and North Korea and Vietnam, Pakistan, Afghanistan and many other places. Men are dying now as I preach for their faith because they'll not recant Christ. And let me tell you, it'll come here. But this tribulation and this affliction only put the roots deeper. And that's what puts your roots deeper. Friend, my friend, I have learned nothing in all the years that I've been a Christian. I've learned nothing compared to what I've learned when I'm in trials, when I'm in troubles, when I'm in affliction. God's God's way of teaching us and training us and humbling us and dealing with us. And, and the more tribulation and the more affliction they came, the roots went down deeper. And the tree got up brighter and the fruit came out. And the whole churches round about are thanking God for them. May God help us. In spite of the slaughtering match, all heaven and earth joined together to thank God for this church at Thessalonica. They stood strong. They stood strong like the ones in Afghanistan and North Korea. They're enduring hardness this morning. And that's what Paul wrote to Timothy. We're to endure hardness as a good soldier. And if we sing following Jesus ever day by day, well, he endured the cross and he despised the shame. Now, while we don't suffer, suffer for physically for our faith in the West... Nevertheless, and I say this in compassion this morning, nevertheless, there's some of you enduring many things patiently and quietly. You know, last week I came across this verse in Romans 8 and it jumped out at me. And it clung to me all week. 
Paul's talking about the groanings under sin and under the curse. The curse. He says the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And then in verse 23, it's, he says this, And not only they, now listen, not only they, but ourselves, also ourselves, groan we within ourselves. Three times he uses the word, the, the, these words jumped out at me. But, but, but ourselves also, we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption. And I believe here this morning, and I don't know who it is, and I don't know who's listening to me this morning, and I don't know just who this message is directly for this morning, but I believe that there are people listening to me this morning and you're groaning in your soul. See, his Spurgeon talks about the tears of the heart that nobody can see. And I don't know what goes on in your home and you don't know what goes on in my home. And I don't know what afflicts you from morning to night or what's way down in your heart that nobody knows anything about. But God, give me this word this morning for you this morning. And this is the sort of words that I have steered away from for so often. But I believe that there's some here listening to me somewhere, somewhere this morning and you're groaning down deep in your heart, and God knows it and he hears it. Burdened and disturbed over something. Maybe something in your marriage. Maybe it's to do with your children. Maybe it's to do with your health or your work. Maybe it's a widow or widowers coming up to Christmas. Pain of memories past and fear of the days and future days and waiting till this whole thing's over. The fact of facing it alone. My friend, we don't know what goes on in the heart of our people. We don't know what goes on behind the handshake and the smile and the singing. But then that wee word jumped out at me, waiting, waiting. And I say to you, they're struggling this morning, battling this morning, and not knowing what's happening, and wondering. I say to you this morning, I say, brother and sister, I say, Hold on. Wait on God. It'll pass. Whatever it is, it will pass. And God will be able to look at you and others will be able to look at you and say, I recognize and I thank God that you endured the trial. Don't let the devil bounce you about now this morning. Don't let the devil cast fears and doubts and thoughts into you that are lies from hell. 
I, the psalmist says, waited patiently on the Lord and he inclined unto my cry. And he brought me up and he brought me out and he'll bring you up and he'll bring you out and he'll bring you over and he'll bring you in glory to God and it'll all be over someday where there'll be no tears or sorrows for weeping endures for a night and joy cometh in the morning. The Lord is good unto those that wait for him. Abram obtained the promise after he endured. Just hold on to it now another wee minute. Hold on to it another day. Hold those things in your heart. Weep in your heart if you must. Stand in your face if you must. But God will vindicate. He'll vindicate. Have I hit a note this morning? I tell you, don't go too far in these days until you get us sad souls. Still making an effort to go out. Still struggling to get up and go to work. Still struggling to get the children out. Still struggling to get them to the meeting. Still struggling without little help, maybe from a husband or a wife or something else. My friend is real. It's real. And I want to comfort you this morning. I want to strengthen you this morning. I want to tell you that it'll pass. Now watch it again. You see the recognizing of the growing and the loving and the enduring. Look at verse 5. And the reigning which is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God, that ye may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God, for which ye also suffer. You see, God, for your enduring and suffering and patience and love, will reward you. He's going to reward you one day. Whatever's going on, my friend, whatever's said against you, whatever's said about you, whatever affliction has come your way, listen, God knows. According to his righteousness, it says here, I tell you there's a crown, Second Timothy 4 and 8, henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give in that day and not to me, only but to all those who love his appearing. The best is yet to be. There's the recognizing of the growing and of the loving and of the enduring of the reigning and of the vindicating. Look at verse 6. Seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. Who's troubling you this morning? Who's attacking you this morning? And there's no greater attacker to the child of God but the very devil himself, the very enemy of souls himself. He's wearing down the saints of the Most High. And he'll attack you, my friend, on past, and he'll attack you on the future, and he'll attack you over your children. He's a dirty, evil, wicked foe, but he's bound by the power of God. Don't you listen to him this morning. Because he'll not only vindicate you and vindicate me from what men say, 
God knows they've said plenty about me over the years, but let me tell you, there's a day of vindication coming and it'll come for you. Yes. It'll come for you. And it'll come shortly. No, Paul tells us in Romans that God of peace shall come shortly and bruise Satan under his feet. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Don't you go down under his threats and his lies. Start rejoicing and start praising even though there's a tear in your heart, even though there's a burden in your soul. Rise up above it. But there's something lovely here as we come down to a close in verse 7. There's the resting. And to you who are troubled, rest. Do you hear that now? Rest. But look at what it says. Look at what they say. Rest with us. Could you say to somebody this morning, could I say to somebody this morning, you just let rest like I'm resting. Are you at rest? Are you a troubled soul this morning? Hmm? Are you agitated? Have you been ratcheted up all over this business that's coming on in the next couple of weeks? Can't read, can't pray. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. I tell you, these three men, and they're in the affliction of the powers of darkness and the devil, they say, Rest with us. I tell you there's a rest. And I'll tell you heaven's at rest. In Psalm 2, we say, we read that the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing. And the kings of the earth set themselves together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, But he that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh, God sitting. God's not confused about this election that's coming up. No, no, he just, they're just leaves in God's womb. That's all they are. And he'll, he'll blow them whatever way he wants to blow them. There's perfect peace in heaven. And the children of God should be at perfect peace and rest. And rest. And praise God the day is coming when the wicked will cease from troubling and the weary be at rest. Very quickly in Matthew 11 and 28. Listen. Now listen. As we come to a close. Listen to what Jesus says. Come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's rest for the sinner. 
That's a different word than the rest in the moment we're going to talk about. And all ye here listening to me, and even in this meeting this morning, that are toiling and laboring under the guilt of sin and burdened, listen, listen to what Jesus says, sinner, to you this morning. I will give you rest. There's no one else can give you rest. No one else. No one else can give you rest from your troubled soul, from your troubled mind, from your troubled past. No one else. And let me tell you this, you have no option but to reach out and receive this rest. This, this is an invitation. He says, come unto me, all ye, you, that labor and are heavy laden under your sin and burdened with your sin, Jesus says, I will give you rest. You have no option. Look at verse 8. For in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel. You have two sets of people there, and we're not going to preach on them this morning. Look at verse 9. Who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power? Oh, my dear friend, you have no option but to reach out when he gives you this invitation. Sinner, sinner, come on to me, all, all ye that labor under your sin and are heavy laden and burdened and fearful and guilty. He said, whatever the past is, it doesn't matter. He says, come, come, come on to me and I will give you. Here's the gift. But if you don't, there's everlasting fire and flames cut off from God forever. Oh, flee, I tell you. That's the rest for the soul, for the sinner. There's rest for the saint. Because he goes on and says, and you can read it yourself later, take your yoke upon me. Now listen, and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest. That's a different word for rest. Onto your soul. Now he's talking to the saints here. He's talking about the ox that's struggling under the yoke. That old yoke came out over the neck of the two oxes and they were linked together to plow and to work in the field. And if they just... If, they, if those two oxen just moved along on the furrow the way the master wanted them to go and the way he guided them to go, there was no hassle, there was no problem. It was just simply plowing. But once they started to fight, once they started to argue and remonstrate, once they started to champ and they didn't want to do it and they didn't want to go, he pulled the yoke, came upon them and they'd done it themselves and they chaffed their whole neck and they went into pain and all they had to do was obey what he said. And you know, there's some of God's people like that. You have no rest this morning because you're chaffing. You're, 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 you're hindered this morning. You're, you're, you, God is telling you and he's showing you things this morning and he's showing them for years and you haven't done them. And every time you reject, the old thing comes down in the neck. You're fighting against God. And if you fight against God, you'll be the loser. He says there's rest. Every child of God should be at rest this morning. At rest. 
And if you obey God, you'll be at rest. If you obey him on the things that he shows you, you will be at rest. There will be a peace in your home. There'll be a peace in your heart. When you can look up and say, Lord, I know of nothing else, Lord, that you tell me to do. Don't wrestle. Don't hurt yourself. Don't wound yourself. This old, old docks were good for nothing. Lastly, recognizing the growing and the loving and the enduring and the reigning and the vindicating and the resting. Verse 7, the revealing. And to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord shall reveal from heaven with his mighty angels. That's what the Thessalonian letters were written about, mainly the coming of the Lord. <laughs> and listen, he's coming from heaven. Look at verse 10. There's the glorifying. Look at verse, look at, look at verse 10 again. There's the admiring. We, he shall come to be glorified in the sin and to be admired of all them that believe. Oh, what wonderful stuff's here. Listen, listen this morning. He's coming. He's coming. And he's coming soon. Lift up your head and look up for your Redeemer draw nigh. And we shall see him. And we shall be glorified in him. And we shall admire him. That word admire is to wonder at him. Oh, what a, what a text for Christmas that is for his first coming. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, Prince of Peace, the wonder of the Incarnation. We're going to admire. I love that we word there, admire. We're going to wonder at him. We're going to gaze at him. When we're going to see him face to face, friend, we're going to wonder. Had he ever loved us? Had he ever saved us? Did he ever lifted us? Did he ever forgive us? Did he ever cleansed us? Did he ever blessed us? And we could go on and on and on. We'll admire him. We'll just gaze upon his face. And that's what we're going to do, you know, in a few minutes now. We're going to gaze upon these, this bread and this wine. We're going to gaze upon Christ, the lovely Savior. We're going to admire him with all our heart and all our soul that he has kept us from that in verse 8. He has not brought us into everlasting destruction and hell's fire he has saved us by his grace he has bought us by his redeeming blood and his love for us and oh my friend we have no need to be troubled this morning what a letter this was to these young converts what a blessing it must have been to them to know that God was authenticating what these men were writing to them of his of, of their growing Oh, we need to encourage one another when we see a bit of growth. They're growing and they're, and, and they're loving and they're enduring and they're reigning and they're vindicating and they're resting and they're revealing. He, he ends up here be encouraging them. He's coming. He's coming. He's going to be revealed from heaven. And that's where I would have to finish this morning. And the wonder of the revelation. Behold, he's coming with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. And John says in this lovely wee phrase, unto him that loved us, 
and loosed us from our sins in his own blood. In his own blood. It wasn't the blood of bulls or goats or calves. It wasn't the blood of Mary. In his own blood, he set us free. Encourage one another this morning. Dear Saint, I encourage you this morning to lift up your head and look up. For your Redeemer draweth nigh. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. O God, our Father, take thy word this morning. Lord, forgive us if we're a discouragement to others. Give us that we find people difficult to love. May it be said of us, Lord, that their love abounded more and more. Lord, we believe this is the secret of blessing, the secret of revival. Lord, bless those that are struggling this morning. Bless those who are weary and tired this morning. Lord, let it not be said of any of us this morning. That we encourage not the saints of God.